Sasswood is a show about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, the hopers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit our Facebook page. This is Sasswood, a show about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Matsky, and unfortunately, that's the only host that's going to be speaking with you tonight. My son Andy is a little under the weather. We had a really big weekend in our family. Andy made his confirmation at church, and we had a lot of friends and family in for the weekend, and it was a tremendous event, and I think uh, part part of the unfortunate outcome of, of all of that time and attention and stress, all for a good cause, of course, uh, it just kind of took its toll on Andy. He powered through the most important day, uh, but afterwards he was just done. And so uh, we wish you a speedy recovery, Andy. Uh, wish you were here across the TV tray for me, but that's not an option tonight. So fortunately, the bulk of the show is going to be carried by the second half of Paul Bartholomew's special presentation from the 2015 SOSPI uh, conference that was held down at Burr Oak State Park. So look forward to that in just a couple minutes. There are some uh, things I want to get to tonight, and we've got a letter to read and some news to share. I think I will begin by sharing the letter that we received from Ryan. And Ryan writes, Mark and Andy, greetings from Pittsburgh. Thanks for making my bus rides to work great. The show was great with Seth, but as others have said, your dynamic as hosts is great. You have me eagerly anticipating the time when my six-year-old daughter is old enough to add something to a podcast besides the words poop and pee. Yes, we are in that phase so that we can do a podcast as well. Sasswood is tied with blurry photos as my favorite podcasts because you guys have fun with the topic and don't take yourselves too seriously. If you aren't familiar with blurry photos, check it out. Additionally, your discussion of how awesome and approachable Stan Gordon is led me to reach out to him. He has agreed to present at our local library this October. Thanks. Suggestion for an episode, 10 Best Non-STM Bigfoot Movies. Finally, thanks for letting me know MST3K was back. I knew it was coming, but I've been busy as of late. Keep up the awesome work. And as I said, that's from Ryan. Ryan, thanks so much for writing. That is such a cool letter. I love those slice-of-life type of letters and communications that we get from people and just knowing that we're a part of people's everyday lives, like uh, your bus rides, Ryan. That is so awesome. It's so amazing. We also get photos of people listening listening to us in their cars and things like that. It's just amazing, uh, really. That blows our minds. I can speak for Andy on that. Uh, to know that we're along with you for a little bit, hopefully making your day a little bit funnier and brighter, uh, means the world to us. So thanks again, Ryan, for writing. A couple things that you mentioned in the letter that I want to touch on is blurry photos. I have begun to check them out. It is really an extremely entertaining podcast. I have to say, the first one that I started listening to was about Ivan T. Sanderson, and it was not what I was expecting, but it um, has its own flavor for sure and is highly entertaining. So I am going to continue to check them out. 
that's really cool about Stan Gordon coming to your library. I I find that uh, completely understandable, and I'm I'm really uh, gratified that he said yes to your request. Uh, you will not be sorry because he always knocks it out of the park with his presentations. The suggestion for an episode, 10 Best Non-STM Bigfoot Movies, that really has our gears turning, and uh, that is probably going to be the substance of a future episode in the very near future. So keep listening for that. And, uh, hey, no problem with the MST3K. We've almost worked our way through the entire uh, restart of the series. And the one thing that I wanted to mention on that note is that while Cry Wilderness is a Bigfoot-themed movie that they riff, that's not the only appearance of Bigfoot in the new series. And that's all I'm going to say on that note, just to whet the appetite for all the the misties out there who love the show as much as we do. So thanks, Ryan, for writing. And as a follow-up to your letter, I would like to go over to the Sasswet bookshelf and take a moment to talk about a book that is extremely excellent in every single way. And that is the book, The Bigfoot Filmography, Appearances in Film and uh, Fictional and Documentary Appearances in Film and Television by David Coleman. Just a great book, and I wanted to touch on that because as soon as I got that letter from Ryan, I started to pour through my copy, which is a Kindle edition of the book, and make sure that I was remembering all of the Bigfoot movies that I've ever seen. And most of them are in this particular book, the Bigfoot filmography. What's interesting, too, is that Lauren Coleman writes a foreword, and evidently there's no relation between the authors, uh, but they do share a last name. And the thing that I wanted to mention, too, is uh, it, it brought back memories of movies that I had seen and forgotten. But it also goes into great detail on movies like The Creature from Black Lake, and uh, Legend of Boggy Creek, obviously. It also is the singular source of the most information I've ever seen on the television series Bigfoot and Wild Boy, which was sort of a catalyst for me when I was a little kid watching Saturday morning <laughs> television. Uh, Bigfoot and Wild Boy is probably mostly responsible for me seeking out Bigfoot books at our local library, which led to Marion T. Place and... I think you probably know the rest of the story by now. So I would highly recommend this to anybody who's interested in searching out Bigfoot films to watch with one caveat, and that is that the Bigfoot filmography is comprehensive, extremely so, to the degree that it includes even adult-themed movies about Bigfoot, and it spares... No description. It's not being done in a salacious way, but he generally will summarize the content of the film. And in some cases, uh, you have Bigfoot behaving badly. And so I think uh, a word to the wise is sufficient. You probably don't want to put a Bigfoot filmography in front of a seven or eight year old. That would not be advisable in my opinion, 
But to the mature reader who can handle such things, I think you will find a lot of um, interesting and unusual inclusions along with movies that everyone knows about, such as Harry and the Hendersons and so forth. So a really good read, and it, by, it blows away any competition, as far as I know of, in terms of cataloging and describing and critically looking at uh, the Bigfoot filmography. So check that out if you have the opportunity. Going over to the news desk, there is a great deal of events and uh, special appearances coming up, especially right here in Ohio during the month of May. First, I want to talk about the Ohio Bigfoot Conference. That's taking place on May 20th. That's a Saturday. And for the first time in over a half decade, Andy and I will not be attending the OBC. And that is the cause of a little bit of consternation on our parts the Ohio Bigfoot Conference has been extremely important as far as us getting to know people in the Bigfoot community. And really, the birth of Sasswat took place at OBC, and that story has been well chronicled elsewhere. Part of the reason we're not going to be there is simply we don't live there anymore. We used to live 45 minutes from our front door to Salt Fork State Park, which is where Ohio Bigfoot Conference is hosted, which made it really easy for us to zip over and attend dinners and go home and then come back the next morning. That's really not an option anymore, unfortunately. And um, so what that results in is uh, we will not be present for OBC. I do want to say that Ohio Bigfoot Conference will be featuring speakers this year, Robert W. Morgan, Lyle Blackburn, Tom Powell, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, Robert Robinson, and the MC of the whole event is Cliff Berrickman. So, per usual, the OBC has many of the leading lights as far as uh, Bigfoot commentary is concerned. Obviously, Dr. Jeff Meldrum is held in very high regard and is thought of you know, in much the same way as Grover Krantz was, uh, in terms of somebody being an academic in the Bigfoot community, I think the advantage that Meldrum has over Krantz is he is a little more personable and certainly is media savvy and, uh, you know, is well-respected, takes time with people at conferences and, and things of that nature. So anytime you can have Meldrum on your lineup, it's a good thing. Uh, Tom Powell, obviously, is someone who I've talked about on the show a number of times. We had the opportunity to meet him at OBC in the past. Just a great guy and um, willing to sort of follow where the evidence leads. Obviously, Lyle Blackburn is someone who means a lot to us. We've shared some cool experiences with Lyle, and hopefully that will happen again in the future. And, uh, of course, Robert W. Morgan is... Um, one of, I, I hate to use the term old guard, but he's been around for a long time and has crossed paths with, with who really were the, the old guard in big footery. And it would be really interesting to hear him. So that's taking place, as I said, May 20th, which is a Saturday, Salt Fork State Park. And if you're, con if you're considering going, 
a couple things to keep in mind. One is that I believe the VIP tickets are all sold out and were all sold out many, many months ago. Doesn't mean you can't go. Uh, just means you'll be in an overflow room. And what's more, you can go to the lodge and enjoy the um, the what is being called. I'm not making. I'm not giving it this term. This is how it appears on Facebook. The Ohio Bigfoot Vendor Flea Market 2017 is free to the public, family friendly event, one to six p.m. on Saturday, May 20th. Features over 30 vendors, artists, investigators, authors, celebrities and a myriad of cryptozoological-type items, especially centered on Bigfoot. So if you want to get a sense of what goes on at OBC, but you don't want to, you know, pay, (laughs) uh, buy a ticket for the uh, access to the speakers, uh, you can still enjoy, get a a real flavor of what goes on uh, by just showing up at Salt Fork State Park and going to the lodge. Now, if you're like us and you can't make it down to Salt Fork State Park, there is another option for you if you are in Northeast Ohio on Saturday, May 20th, and that is Bigfoot Day. It's being hosted by Stark Parks in Canton, May 20th at Sippo Lake Park. Come celebrate Bigfoot Day with Small Town Monsters. We'll be hosting a free screening of Boggy Creek Monster and spending the day at our table. That's the news release from Small Town Monsters, obviously. And if you take a look, go on Facebook and check out the Stark Parks. They have a really great description. I just want to share that with you. I'll tell you why in a second. It says, a shadow, a Newfoundland dog, or bear running by, or could it be Bigfoot? Wear your best Bigfoot gear and spend the afternoon with Stark Parks exploring this legend. Take a short hike while we learn about local animals and their adaptions and call. Participate in Bigfoot Calling Contest and watch a film produced by the award-winning film crew Small Town Monsters. Program will be held rain or shine and includes indoor and outdoor components. I believe that you will need to uh, reserve a, a spot for that. Although I suppose you could just show up the day of at a, a park and recreation uh, opportunity such as that. You do want to look at reservations.starkparks.com, though, for more information. And that, again, is Saturday, May 20th, from 1 until 4.30 p.m. Uh, Seth and Brandon are going to be there from Small Town Monsters, and uh, there might be more of the Small Town Monsters crew there as well. That's sort of a wait-and-see deal, uh, at least for us. But that is another uh, opportunity for you to uh, enjoy Bigfoot Day, and it's great to partner with uh, the parks, I think. We've got wonderful metro parks all throughout Northeast Ohio, Stark Parks, Geauga, Lake Parks, and Cuyahoga County. Uh, Cleveland Metro Parks just provide wonderful services to our community, and to partner with them on an event like this is really, really cool. Speaking of partnering with cool institutions, there's one more thing that I want to talk to you about real quickly. It's a reminder, actually. That is that Sasquatch and Small Town Monsters are combining forces for a two-night extravaganza at Willoughby Hills Public Library 
July 5th and 6th, both nights beginning at 6 p.m. And what I want to let you know is that just today, a event page was created on Facebook. Uh, so that was created through Small Town Monsters. So find Small Town Monsters on Facebook, look at the event page, and you will see more information about what's going to happen those two nights in July. And if you know that you're interested or that you are firm in your plans and you're committed to going, uh, you can click going and let us know that you'll be there. But that's really cool. It just launched this afternoon, and we've got some folks going and interested both. So we're really looking forward to that, uh, seeing a lot of our friends. Also, if you go on the Sasswat Facebook page, you'll see some of the promotional material that's already in place at the Willoughby Hills Library that was posted by our friend Mark, who we know is a listener to the program. So a shout-out to Mark. Thank you for getting the hype machine going. Uh, we are really looking forward to this. It's almost like a, a miniature Bigfoot conference coming to Willoughby Hills Library July 5th and 6th. We're really excited about it. So what we've got going tonight is Volume 2, uh, Part 2 of Paul Bartholomew's presentation from the Sospi convention that took place at Burr Oak State Park in 2015. I had an interesting reaction in talking to one of my friends um, about Volume 1. And he is, uh, I'm not going to name any names because I don't know uh, if he wants to be shouted out on here necessarily. But he made the comment that Paul Bartholomew sounds exceptionally level-headed and sounds like a clear thinker. And he's the type of person who can maybe change your mind on this subject, where if you're extremely skeptical or just you think the whole subject of Bigfoot is a complete laugh, after listening to a person like Paul Bartholomew, it might cause you to start to think that perhaps, just maybe, people are seeing inexplicable things out in the woods or as they're driving around. And I would have to agree. I think that it's exactly the type of researcher and presenter like Paul Bartholomew who um, gives people so much good information and from such a credentialed spot that you have to at least play with the idea a little bit before you dismiss it outright. So um, that, that's been my reaction to Paul Bartholomew as well. And he's, if you ever get the chance to hear him in person, please make sure that you do so and uh, be encouraged that he is extremely personable and down-to-earth and would love to talk to you about uh, questions that you might have or just the, the subject in general or his studies in particular. So before I give you over to Paul, just a reminder that if you'd like to contact us, uh, we try to be as responsive as we possibly can. If you just have to write us uh, via email at sasswhatmail, I almost said sasswhatshow, sasswhatmail at gmail.com. Again, that is sasswhatmail at gmail.com. And uh, we've gotten a, a, another letter, really great letter, in fact. I didn't read it this week, in part because I wanted Andy to be present when I read it. 
And there's so much content to this particular letter that, by the way, is written from a skeptical point of view that I think it's it's going to be worth an entire episode's discussion in the future. So I'm going to hang on to that letter for now. But um, you can also follow us on Twitter, and that one's at SasWhatShow. Also, of course, uh, Facebook page. There's links there to other events and just the occasional silly post on my part to keep things fun. Uh, welcome your posts as well, and I look forward to receiving those. All right, thank you once again for listening, and uh, here once again is Paul Bartholomew. So what we initially thought was a single sighting, and, and I'll tell you one of the problems with uh, shooting documentaries is you're edited and condensed, time compressed. And I painstakingly laid out the details of the Avery Road incident, which take place over a week. And yet when you see it on TV, it's like, oh, it's one incident, you have one sighting, that's what it looks like. Well, it's much more complicated. We went and we found police records where it was logged in the police books. Uh, Bob Martell was the dispatcher on duty. Wilfred Goslin, who was related to one of the witnesses, was the police chief at the time. And this is the Sharon Ellis drawing. We had Benton Jameson, who was a math professor at SUNY, came up with one of his students, Sharon Ellis. And she drew this creature based on the eyewitness testimony. The only characteristic not shown here is the red glowing eyes. Same thing that Cliff talked about. In fact, the red eyes is one of these characteristics that keeps popping up. Uh, when when uh, I looked at the old vernacular, some of the old writings about the history of this, of this region, they would say things like, its eyes were like uh, burning embers, things like that, to describe the same characteristic. So that's a characteristic that pops up a lot in the Whitehall sightings. And this is Eric Miner's sketch of the creature, and this is probably the closest rendition of what the Avera Road creature looked like. And again, the only characteristic, because it's a black and white drawing, is the red glowing eyes. This is the first book we did, Monsters of the North Woods. And of course, we used Eric's drawing on the cover. And another sighting that took place that doesn't get much publicity was a teacher was driving the back road and had a sighting in an apple orchard. And that makes a lot of sense because we've got a lot of sightings now in apple orchards, and that's where the Frank Szczynski Vermont photo was taken mm. at, at, underneath an apple tree. So this makes a lot of sense. And if we go to Carver's Falls Road, there's actually a police entry. This happened on September 1st. Now, the Avery Road incident happened August 24th through the 26th, 1976, and then the sightings continued all the way to September 1st. When this incident happened on Carver's Falls Road, a man came into the police station, told police dispatcher Bob Martell, I shot Bigfoot. And they actually dispatched uh, contact with the New York State Police <laughs> fired a 22 caliber and a shotgun at the creature, and it, it was entered in the log as, as a huge creature that came at him on Sea Falls Road, notified state police, New York State Police, Sea Falls being Carver's Falls. So we have a shooting that took place, but it wasn't aggression on the creature, it was aggression by uh, people towards the creature, towards the unknown. So that's, that was the end of the Abear Road flap or outbreak 
as, as it's known. There's what, other characteristics what, that happened within a week. Me. What happened to the creature after he was shot? Uh, he just said it came at him, and then uh, he took off. And when the police got there, uh, the, the New York State Police responded to the scene. Uh, they found shotgun shells, but no other evidence of anything there. Now, people will say, what's he doing out at, you know, midnight, 10 o'clock at night with guns out in the... Well, it's one of those things. If you're out drinking, if you're out hunting illegally, poaching, whatever, the last place you're going to go is to the police station. Right. And so it's a good indication that these boys were frightened when this incident happened and that this hunter or whatever he was doing out there at night was so frightened he went right to the police. It scares... it. Scared people. It scared Brian for years and years. Now, Brian's sighting, which was shown on Seth's film, uh, Seth's uh, film clip, uh, he was a. Uh, the next night, he went out with a New York State trooper, and they both had a sighting. So this creature hung around this area for at least a week. So the creature was shot, but then well, he came back the next night. This guy says he shot at the creature. We don't know if it was actually hit or not. We never do, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> now, if we take a look, uh, actually, we've got one uh, news clip here, which was done by uh, Mark Mahalland, who's a white hauler. It was done for the Albany News. Mysteries, Bigfoot. <laughs> and this will show A Bear Road again. Eleven people, including eight police officers, see a hairy creature between seven and eight feet tall with glaring red eyes and a scream similar to this, recorded in the California woods. Nineteen seventy-five, also in Whitehall, country club owner Cliff Sparks was working on his golf greens when he was startled by a seven to eight foot tall sloth-like creature. He's kind of got me the most of these red eyes and, and the, the flared nostrils, like a pig nostril. She can't ignore the evidence. Uh, Paul Bartholomew has never seen the creature but he's kept an eye on all the reported sightings in the North Country and is a co-author of Monsters of the North Woods. We have hair samples, we have uh, uh, droppings that have been collected, eyewitness reports, uh, vocalizations have been recorded. We have every uh, evidence there is except for the actual creature itself. and her late mother, Martha Hallenbeck, had a close encounter with the creature. grandson, Bruce Hallenbeck, has been tracking the creature or creatures in the Kinderhook area. It's very elusive, whatever it is. In fact, Hellenbeck says this thing is so elusive that he'll sometimes see tracks, and then they suddenly stop, as if the creature had vanished into thin air. The more you investigate, the weirder it gets, uh, especially when you find those mysterious tracks, some of which have three toes, some of which have five. 
Um, it seems as though the creature is almost paranormal, that maybe it's something that's not quite of our reality, like a ghost. Um, maybe it can appear and disappear at will. I realize that sounds pretty wild, but I know there's something out there, and I, what it is, I have no idea. That was Bruce Helmbeck who helped co-author our first book. And uh, uh, his whole family had had sightings. He actually had an interesting encounter in 1981 at a bridge site between Kenderhook and Chatham where he heard uh, primate-type vocalizations. At the same time, he saw white balls of light, on a calm orbs, I don't, you know, whatever you want to describe them as, rising above the bridge site. So this is a, another characteristic that pops up time and time again. This is a composite of the Spark sighting from 75 and the Avia Road sighting of 76. So I think we're probably dealing with the same creature. This was a zoological park, and what's funny about this, not just that I'm next to a gorilla, but uh, the size is about right. Uh, I'm 5'8", so we're looking at a creature that's not too far off of those dimensions. Probably a little thicker in this, this sculpture. <laughs> the scariest thing about that last report uh, is my hair used to be dark black. No <laughs> more. Um, you can see me progress in age. It's terrible. Uh, in the 1980s, we documented a lot of reports, uh, newspaper reports. It's different now. The internet has changed everything because newspapers don't cover the stories like they used to. There would be a newspaper article, and then there'd be a flap of sightings, and there'd be a whole series of reports, and it's all different now. It's very rare that you get these types of articles anymore. Now we talk about Dan Gordon, and there's very few people I've bet my life on. Sue Cook, Cliff Sparks, Dan Gordon. No question about it. These are very respectable people. And in 1982, Dan was a Whitehall patrolman. He couldn't tell his story for 22 years. In fact, he was listed in our book as anonymous law enforcement official because he feared retribution and didn't want to be known as the Bigfoot cop. You know, and, and I understand that. And then he did finally come forward with his story. And he had a sighting out by South Bay, just outside of Whitehall, while on patrol, with another police officer in the car creature walked across the road in front of him. And we've got a clip here, which we'll play. Uh-oh. Got to go back. Sorry. I think it's four. Yeah. Okay, now, this is the History Channel was up in Whitehall, and they did a segment on Dan's sighting for Gigano, Search for King Kong, and they also did one on the New York State episode. This is my brother imitating the creature. So, Bob Bartholomew is playing Bigfoot. Uh, notice the step, steps. It takes him about six or seven steps to cross the road. Uh, Dan's sighting, he said it crossed the road in about three steps. Now this is the recreation of Dan. What he did, he pulled the car over, got out, gun uh, drawn, and was, you know, trying to trace after the, the creature, but the creature was already long gone. 
This is kind of interesting. This is the History Channel still. This is the cameraman for the History Channel. And this is one of the hazards of Bigfoot hunting. He's filming the recreator. Watch what happens to the poor photographer. Gone. <laughs> Fell right over the bank. Funniest thing is the cop, the reaction of the cop, he just puts his gun away. Well, come on out. <laughs> That's Dan Gordon in my living room filming for the History Channel with, uh, I believe her name was Parks. And she was a forensic artist. And I remember Dan saying that, you know, if 10 is exactly how close the sketch is, he says it's 9.5 because 10 is up here. This is the sketch of that the artist made of Dan Gordon's sighting. And keep in mind, sorry, keep in mind that Dan was with another officer at the time. This wasn't just uh, his sighting and somebody will say, well, it was his imagination, he saw something else. The other police officer decided to stay in the car. And he also, it was Whitehall, he swallowed his tobacco and was, decided he was very comfortable in the car. <laughs> So this was the area about 4.30 in the morning where they had their sighting. And I would bet my life on Dan's sighting. He took a polygraph. He says to me one day, I'll take a polygraph. And I says, Dan, nobody's asked you to take a polygraph. He says, I want to. And so I called Doug Hijack up. And Doug said they were thinking about doing a New York episode. They came out. They filmed a New York episode with Dan Gordon, brought in the New York State polygraph. It, you know, used in kidnapping, murder cases, and things like that. He said no deception. No deception at all. Of course, we knew that. In fact, they actually polygraphed three witnesses for Whitehall. All three passed. Wasn't that a, was that a Monster Quest episode? Yep. Okay, I absolutely. Okay. Yep. And uh, in the 1980s, we had the vocal reports from the school, which is not too far from Cliff Sparks Country Club. So we think that this area is where the creatures. Uh, seem to have a migratory pattern. They seem to go through this area quite frequently. And another thing that pops up time and time again is we have anniversary sightings. For instance, on the anniversary of the Avery Road sighting in 1989, we have this sighting which took place in Hampton, New York. Two boys saw a creature that uh, while they were camping. We went to exact the exact spot, exactly where they said the creature was standing and there were these types of marks. But look at the terrain. It's almost impossible to cast, but we did. We cast whatever we could there. And these are the impressions. So it's not very distinct, but there was a 56 inch stride between the creature as it stood. So that should give you a pretty good scale of how big it was. Unfortunately, the uh, actual detail here is hard to, you know, it's basically scuff marks. But uh, there were two witnesses involved in this case, and it falls on the anniversary of the Avery Road sighting. So it's suggestive of a migratory pattern. The uh, West Rutland case, which, we'll, which we saw in that video, and we'll detail in a few minutes, Susan Cook was interviewed. Her sighting fell almost on the anniversary of that sighting the next year. Uh, the original sighting was in September. Her sighting was October 1st. Suggestive of uh, a migratory pattern, I think. A consistency, at least. Now we get into Kinderhook. You saw a brief clip there of Bruce Hallenbeck in the Kinderhook, uh, Valencia, Chatham area. And this is the Kinderhook home where Martha Hallenbeck, his grandmother, uh, now deceased, but she always described it the same way, multiple interviews. Oh my, 
horrible looking thing. I wish it would just go away. It was funny. Uh, about a year before she had passed on, she said, you know, I kind of miss it. Because it was exciting. But uh, she, she was scared. And what had happened is they got off, uh, out of the car. And the, uh, Martha went in the house. And the daughter said, I'm going to go get, uh, you know, my son and, and bring him back. Her son very nice. And so she left Martha in the home all alone with these vocalizations going on back and forth. And I said to Martha, what'd you do? And she says, well, I grabbed a hammer. And she says, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I had a hammer and I just waited. And so the, basically what happened is the, the grandson came back and fired off a couple shots in the air. And uh, that put, pretty much quieted everything down. And one thing Martha told me was she kind of regretted that because it hasn't been back and she thinks that's why it hasn't been back. And they think what it was doing was raiding the garbage. The theory. Uh, impossible shot here because it's just not dark enough. Uh, the, the shorter gentleman there is, is Paul Cropper. And if you go to Australia, uh, the creature there is called the Yowie or the Yahoo or the Devil's Devil. And uh, Paul Cropper has written one of the best books ever on the Yowie phenomenon. And he's here with Bruce Hound back in this slide. He's visited uh, the Whitehall area, the Kinderhook area. He's gone all over the world. His most recent research is into poltergeist cases in Australia. Uh, this is a shot of Martha Hellenbeck. I can add her to the list of people I would bet my life on. Not a doubt in my mind about this woman. And that's Barry, Barry Knights, who was the grandson. And Barry had an interesting encounter. In, he was a hunter, uh, you know, typical teenager, fisherman, and he just always had his hunting gear with him. And he was in the woods one day, and he saw multiple creatures walking through the woods, threw his gear, and ran out. Now, that, that'd be like, you know, throwing, uh, a teenager throwing their cell phone or something uh, and leaving it behind. Uh, he was that frightened by it. So it was multiple creatures, but there's an interesting characteristic here. He noticed the pig-like snout, which he described, similar to Cliff Sparks. Notice the eyes, how he made them so so uh, sullen and, and strange, just like Cliff. But notice the foot. Three toes. And we get that three-toed, five-toed thing. We don't get a lot of fours, and I don't know why that is. Cook thought it might be genetic drift. I think we're probably dealing with an element here that we just don't understand. But uh, as a researcher, I don't throw this type of data out. I think the only way we're going to progress in the investigations is to lay the evidence out as it is. It would be a lot easier if Cliff didn't see a creature with red eyes. If that wasn't a characteristic, it'd be a lot easier to, to explain, but that's how the evidence happens. And there's elements to the Whitehall Bigfoot case that the Avery Road incident that we'll talk about in a second, which get even stranger. Can't see it here. It's a bridge site, in which I already talked about, where Bruce had an encounter with orbs and the vocalizations at the same time. Uh, this is one of the smaller tracks that we had. I guess that's about 11 inches or so from the Kinderhook area. And it has a strange curvature in it, which uh, Bruce has taken these tracks to uh, a museum and asked for analysis and stuff. And uh, he said it's an unusual curvature that some of these tracks have that were cast in Kinderhook. And some of the five-toed ones had the dermal ridges. There's another type of creature, Bigfoot-like. You know how the Honey Island Swamp monster is a little more aggressive, 
how the uh, uh, different creatures have sort of regional characteristics. Well, this is a stranger one, but it's from the Kinderhook area. Notice the eyes so far apart, almost a bird-like, giant bird-like creature that was sighted in Kinderhook, but attributed to us being Sasquatch-like. And this was in the, about 1990 that this was sighted. No question about the witness's sincerity. Didn't want her name used, anything like that. Was uh, just terrified by what she had seen. And of course, we get tracks all the time. Usually, it's hard to see them. Sometimes there's snow tracks. Uh, these are about 19 inches from the Ghent, New York area, which borders on Chatham and Kinderhook, and down in that lower area. Kinderhook is about 10 miles south of Albany, New York, and it's. Uh, around Chatham areas where Washington Irving wrote Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Perfect setting. Uh, I also have a, a series of vocalizations that we would record. They recorded some in Kinderhook uh, that were kind of bird-like and monkey-like at the same time. But the one that we play, and it sounds most, was taken in the woods of Pennsylvania and it was uh, played for PM Magazine. And this is what it sounded like. This is the one most of the witnesses point to. This is Luke. for vocal witnesses, they almost always pick that sound out. <coughs> These are just some general drawings done by Eric Miner. There's a, up by the tables upstairs, there's a Eric Miner drawing about five foot tall. If anybody wants their picture taken with it, take a picture of it, feel free to. Um, excellent artist, done a lot of work for us, and uh, just a really talented guy, and he did all these different variations. Uh, this is one that was in Cook's collection. I'm not sure what the details are on it, but it's one of my favorites because uh, it just captures the mysterious element of it. And again, note the whoever drew this, the eyes. There's always something strange about the eyes. So we'll look at Vermont now. And of course, uh, Green Mountain State, uh, Castle State College, where Cook was from and so forth. This is Cook in action. Cook in the Chittenden area. And this was a photograph that was taken uh, back in the 70s. And some people look at that. Now what they're actually, in the middle of nowhere in Vermont, there's this bridge. And the photo was taken on this bridge. You see those two, two uh, trees down. And it had to be documented for the state. And some people claim that there's a creature in the corner, or straight up in the top there. And that's a close-up of it. Cook actually brought this photo back in the 70s, we did it secretly, uh, sent it to Jet Propulsion Laboratories. And they did an analysis of it, and they said, they're in the exact words where what you see is what you get. He said, we can't do anything with it. At that time, they said the only thing they could determine is that the white, which would be where the face is, is actually foliage. So this might be simply a shadow. We're not sure, but that's the basis for the, if you hear about the Vermont photos, there's two that are taken. This is one of them, and the other is Frank's. 
that have gotten pretty famous. This is that original one. Uh, the only thing I can confirm is we went to the site and there's nothing upturned like a stump or anything like that. So it's either a shadow or it's something else. We don't really know. Now what Cook did, Cook became a really symbolic uh, figure in the Northeast uh, because he was an academic, a really accredited academic who was studying Bigfoot, was studying various paranormal phenomena, and was in a highly controversial uh, pre-Columbian artifact research in that area, you know, the Barry Fell, Ancient America stuff. And so uh, Cook was a big figure, so he held this conference at Castle State College at a university, and it overflowing crowds. The reaction was super. Uh, so he held a second one when he got back from, from China, and that was, again, received extremely well. Well, in between the two, we had this sighting that occurred, and you saw the, some of the interviews there uh, on the previous clip uh, with Al Davis and Bob Davis and uh, Sue Cook, and that was the West Rutland site. And we have one of the original castings with us. These are the three casts that were made of six impressions of a creature that ran up what was basically a logging driveway where, near this house. And what had happened is one of the people at West Rutland had gotten ahead of it and was ahead of where it was running. And he was going to grab it. And he says, I thought it was somebody playing a prank. And he says, as this thing ran, and it may have actually stamped to be more aggressive, because it probably didn't like it being seen. It was throwing stones at a shed, which drew everyone's attention to it. A characteristic which in the 80s wasn't readily known. And so he said, I was going to grab it. And he says, as it ran up the road, he says, the ground shook. He could feel it. Anybody has been near cattle can feel that. And he said he decided not to grab it. <laughs> Good life choice. <laughs> because, uh, you know, who knows? But these are the actual three casts that were made. We figured the weight would have been about 450 pounds at least to put that into just, and this was tough terrain. So it was a very impressive uh, sighting. And this is that stretch of road where Sue Cook had her sighting, which was almost, it was a year and a week later suggestive of this migration pattern. And, uh, you know, I, Sue Cook, no question at all about the sincerity there. Okay, we're gonna come back to that one. Got another video here on Vermont. Everyone's heard of Bennington, Vermont. This is the Bennington creature. An eerie mist hangs Actually, over the fields of Columbia County. Some say this is uh, Kinderhook. You we'll watch Kinderhook first. Looking back. In Indian folklore, he was known as Sasquatch or Wendigo. To most of us, he's known quite simply as Bigfoot. Now, many people think he's nothing but a myth, but there are those living in our area right now who say he's alive and well, and they know it because they've seen him. Oh, it was blood curdling. Meet 85-year-old Martha Hellenbeck. It was 12 years ago when she heard something rummaging through the trash outside her Kinderhook home. In the light of the moon, she will never forget what she saw. Oh, he was big, tall, and he was standing on his uh, two feet just like a person, and covered with black hair. Oh, my. Terrible-looking thing. Martha's grandson, Bruce, believes what she saw was real. He weighed over 190 pounds. He says these plaster prints are proof. 
Bruce is so fascinated with Bigfoot that he and three others have written a book detailing more than 100 sightings in the capital region alone. We've had high school teachers, um, professionals of all sorts, uh, as well as you know farmers and people who know the uh, the animals around here and, and say that this is not something that should be around here. Well, I have to say to believe it probably. And what does Bruce say to that? You know, there's nothing he can say. A person's either going to believe in it or not, I suppose. But I think the important thing is keeping an open mind about it. In Kinderhook, John Bray, News Channel 13. This next report, and I'll go right into it, is from Bennington, Vermont. And it was a slow news news. <laughs> Vermont is full of history and legends, and many of the stories are real. But some of them run that thin line between fact and fiction. Someday we may actually find champs swimming in the waters of Lake Champlain. Down in Bennington, some folks, some folks claim they have actually already seen a Bigfoot lurking in the woods. Joan Ritchie is in the woods tonight to tell us more about this strange story. Joan? Marcellus, that sighting you mentioned took place earlier this month, but it still has a very stirred-up community asking <laughs> questions. The city of Bennington, a storied place rich in legends and history, history honored by the high peak of the Bennington Battle Monument. But at the area's highest point, new history is now being made. Well, this, of course, is the highest elevation. Reporter Noah Hoffenberg has been covering Bennington for several years, but recently experienced a first in his reporting career. I knew as soon as I heard that this was my story, and I knew I had to have it. The story goes like this. Along this stretch of Route 7, one dark night earlier this month, several motorists report seeing a Bigfoot-like character emerge from these woods. We had multiple reports of people seeing a creature uh, walking on two legs, dark black or dark brown fur, uh, roughly six foot plus, about 270 pounds, uh, hairy. It has some type of lumbering walk. While several reports came in, no one was willing to talk to us on the record, except for one man who would only do it if we hid his identity. He's afraid of ridicule, but says what he saw here was no joke. So I saw something black, because, you know, I always pay attention to what's around me. And I'm, as I get closer, I'm looking. And, of course, I said, what the heck is this? And I see a guy walking, looked like a man in a gorilla suit. This had long arms. And just like we see in the movies, Sasquatch kind of hunched over walking and then just with bent knees, hunchback, just walking. The Bennington Bigfoot isn't the first such sighting in Vermont. In fact, this state has a long history of strange forest-dwelling creatures that no one can really identify. Sightings in this area go back centuries, including one once reported in the New York Times in 1890. Well, there were some hunters uh, in the Powell area who say that they saw basically a very similar thing. In this case, it was a creature with reddish-brown fur, uh, and it was enough to make them drop their hunting rifles and run. More modern Bigfoot sightings are of big interest on Internet websites. There are references to sightings in Addison, Caledonia, Chittenden, and Rutland County. These are unsubstantiated stories, but Hoffenberg says as a reporter, he deals in facts, and there are facts to be considered. The facts are that people saw something, 
and uh, that's been corroborated by multiple people, all within a certain time frame, in some cases on the same evening. And in fact, the woods the alleged creature emerged from have a dark history of their own. They sit in the shadow of Glastonbury Mountain, where over time, people have disappeared and never returned. There's uh, a lot of mystery surrounding that mountain. Uh, multiple disappearances, including a young woman from Bennington College uh, in the middle of the 20th century which was immediately followed by a string of other dis disappearances. The question that does remain is what's out there? Um, is it a creature? Is it a man playing a joke? I want an answer. Almost like you want to know if there really is a hoax or not. You know, what's, what really transpired there. I just wish I had a camera. I wish somebody else would have been with me. But unless this creature emerges out of these woods again, the Bennington Bigfoot will remain a mystery. Now, while we are aware that for all those out there who are convinced that what those people saw lurking in the woods is real, we know there are many others who think it's all a bunch of baloney. So coming up in our special segment, we're going to speak to a man who is actually an expert on Bigfoot sightings in Vermont, and he says he actually has some physical evidence, and he's going to show it to us. So stick around. We'll be here. All right. Thanks, John. Uh, it was a slow news day because it was a 30-minute broadcast, and... Almost half of it was on Bigfoot. I don't think that will ever happen again. No. We did an interview out in the woods, which was really like the parking lot and then a couple of trees. It looked great. Um, so now we get into where we're at with this phenomena, and these are the typical tabloid-type headlines. I saw Bigfoot skiing down a mountain. Everybody witness. Bigfoot fights forest where he picks up a shovel and helps the forest. You know, these are the type of stories that keep this pigeonhole, this type of research. And I understand when a policeman says, I don't want to report that. You know, remember Close Encounters, the pilot? Uh, I don't want to report one of those either. I understand that completely. Uh, magazines, not helping out. Uh, you get these very sensationalized type magazines. Uh, even the mainstream media is extremely guilty. Usually it's a chuckle at the end of a broadcast, or it's uh, when you have a newspaper account, it's uh, something like this. Remember the uh, Lizard Man reports? Those were very credible reports, especially the initial one. And the uh, police investigator who investigated that was uh, held three degrees, and he felt that the original sighting was very legitimate. Bigfoot-like creature, but more amphibian. Uh, I mean, it was a strange report, but it doesn't mean it wasn't credible. Well, before this was over, the media swoops in. It, it swoops in. It's a uh, million dollars offered by the radio station. T-shirts. You know, it was a circus atmosphere, and it sort of took away from the entire case. So the mainstream media is very guilty of this as well. But you know, there are discoveries made all the time. Uh, this is the black-faced lion camera. This was a, a primate that was discovered in the most populated area in Brazil, 1990. And uh, Wildlife International President said, this is the equivalent of discovering a new species of primate in the suburbs of LA. And yet this wasn't established until 1990. There's all sorts of mysteries out there. We got six million, nine million acres in the uh, Adirondacks alone that's virtually un uncharted areas, so, some of it. So. Uh, it's interesting that these creatures are still being discovered throughout the world. Uh, Mesoplodon cruvianus, a dolphin-looking whale that was discovered again in 1990. Uh, where's all the records of this creature? You know, it didn't just all of a sudden appear in 1990. 
So, yeah, it's, we have discoveries made all the time. The lost world in Vietnam with many different species. And if you get into to species of insects, of, uh, of uh, any type of plant life, anything, insects, my God, uh, there's discoveries made almost daily. So uh, we've got a lot more. It's not the old idea that you can go to the library and look up information on anything. Uh, there's discoveries made all the time, and it's a constant process.